Good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks for coming out for the continuation of our current teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Now, just in case anyone missed it, next week is Easter, okay? We're going to take a break from the series on Matthew. I'm doing a sermon I've entitled Resurrection Hope, and it's based out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. And if you know anyone who needs hope in this crazy world in which we live, uh, please do invite them to Easter next week. But today, we're still in Matthew. So our text today is Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 17 to 20. And in these verses, we see the king's teaching on Scripture. Now, what you need to understand is that right now as a church, we're studying one part of a teaching commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's most famous teaching, and it spans from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through Matthew chapter 7. And friends, this sermon of Jesus, it's a sermon on salvation. There's many different parts to it, but each part relates to that overall theme of salvation. For example, in verses 1 to 12, Jesus has enumerated for us the many blessings that come to those who are saved. And then in verses 13 to 16, which we covered last week, Jesus taught on the two primary responsibilities of those who are saved. And that brings us to today, where in verses 17 to 20, we learn about the attitude that saved people ought to have towards God's holy scriptures. Now, our attitude towards scriptures can be likened to our attitude towards traffic laws, if you go ahead and think about it. You see, just recently, my daughter, Allie, who's 16, she just got her license, got a proud papa moment here. Take a look at the video. Yay! How'd it go? It was good. I did it. You passed? Yay! Take that mask off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, congratulations. (laughs) Now, in case you haven't had your kid go through driving school in a while, uh, or that hasn't happened for you yet, uh, they make the parents now drive in the car uh, 40 hours leading up to that test, uh, in addition to the student going ahead and taking classes uh, with the instructor from, in this case, Patriots Auto School. No, I didn't get a discount for naming their name, just so you know. I noticed something during those 40 hours of driving with Allie. I noticed how carefully she follows the traffic laws. I mean, she got in the car, put that seatbelt right on. She looked behind her every single time she backed up. You know, she made sure she used the blinkers when she was changing lanes. She came to a complete stop at every stop sign. And uh, oh, the speed limit, oh my goodness, did she ever fastidiously follow the speed limit. And if I sound slightly irritated, it's because I was, you know. We're driving down the highway and I'm looking out my window for a snapping turtle to pass us, you know. We were just going so slow. So like repeatedly, I turned to her and I'd go, Allie, you are going so slow. And she would ever so gently point to the speedometer and go, Dad. <laughs> and I'd go, oh my goodness, you're totally right. We are going. I can't believe this is the speed you're supposed to travel at. <laughs> so what I'm saying is I, I noticed uh, while she was so strictly following the traffic laws, I became uh, aware 
at maybe how I've become a little slack at following the traffic laws, particularly when it comes, like I said, to uh, speed, all right? Now, I see your judgy little eyes looking at me. Okay, I see that. But before you're too harsh on me, did anyone here maybe drive a little too fast to church this morning? No, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? (laughs) Or did you roll through a stop sign? Or did you turn right on red when you shouldn't have? Did any of you fail to use your blinker as you changed lanes? Some of you think that's a suggestion. I'm just letting you know, it's not. It's not, okay? It's a law. Or heaven forbid, did anyone send a text message while driving this morning? Yeah, from the looks and the sounds I'm hearing, I'm not the only one who's guilty of becoming slack on the traffic laws. Doesn't it just happen? So, I mean, like when you've got your road test coming, you're like, ooh, you know, 10 and 2, you know? And then the road test is over and you're like, what's up, you know? (laughs) It's just so easy for that to happen. Well, friends, there's a spiritual parallel to what I'm saying here. Just as it's easy to become slack concerning the traffic laws, so it is easy for a Christian, someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, to become slack concerning uh, following his, his laws. It's easy to begin drifting from the teaching of Scripture. It's easy to get off course. It's easy to go astray so that our lives become out of line with what God expects from us. And it's because of this reality that it's so easy to drift off course from what the Scriptures teach that God gave us the text, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, that we're studying today. In this passage, Jesus aims to move us to the place where we begin holding a high view of Scripture. You see, the lives of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven ought to be wholly governed by God's Word. For the Christian, God's Word is our authoritative rule of faith and conduct. And what that means, simply put, is this. God's Word has the right, by virtue of the fact that it is God's Word, it has the right to tell us what to believe, and it has the right to tell us how to behave. If it didn't come from God, then it wouldn't have the right. But because it is God's Word to us, it has the right to tell us what to believe and to tell us how to live. Now, when we have a high view of Scripture, Scripture governs every aspect of our life. When we have a low view of Scripture, you know, we're not hungry to learn God's Word and we're not careful to obey it. But God, of course, wants us to hold a high view of Scripture. He wants Scripture to govern every facet and every single aspect of our lives, our marriages, how we raise our kids, how we manage our money. God wants His Word to determine our worldview, our values, our morals, how we vote, uh, if we're single, who we date, and the list just goes on and on and on. When you hold a high view of Scripture, Scripture influences every aspect of your life, and your life is governed by the Word of God. And again, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, God wants you to develop this high view of Scripture, and that's why in our text today, we are given three compelling reasons 
for holding a high, high view of Scripture. And today I'm going to walk you through these three reasons. If you're taking notes, grab your uh, lesson notes at this time, grab your pen, and I'll give you some hooks to hang your thoughts on as we go through this wonderful teaching of Jesus. The first reason that we're given for holding a high view of Scripture is this. Jesus gave his life to fulfill the Scriptures. So we dare not take lightly something Jesus took so seriously. Jesus gave his life to fulfill the Scriptures. And we see this in verses 17 through 18, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's just a reference to Scripture. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And that word accomplished is just another way of saying until all is fulfilled. Friends, Jesus came to earth to fulfill Scripture. This is something that Matthew, the author of this gospel that we're studying in this series, really uh, makes a point to draw our attention to all throughout his gospel. For example, and be warned, I'm going to go through these 10 examples very fast. Matthew says that Jesus was born of the virgin to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Matthew says that when Jesus' father brought him to Egypt, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Matthew says that when Jesus was the cause for great mourning in Ramah, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. Matthew says that when Jesus grew up in Nazareth, so that, excuse me, Matthew says that Jesus grew up in Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. And he says that God relocated Jesus to Capernaum so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. When Jesus cast out demons and healed the sick, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. When Jesus came as God's chosen servant, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. When Jesus spoke in parables, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Even when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Finally, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas unto death, then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet. Ten Times in his gospel, Matthew draws our attention to how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. And since Jesus literally, not figuratively, but literally gave his life to fulfill the scriptures, we dare not ever take the scriptures lightly. There was a time in Jesus's ministry if memory serves me correctly, it was his second year into his public ministry when some people began accusing him of holding a low view of Scripture. And here's why the accusation was made. Friends, there were the traditions of the religious leaders, ceremonial, hand-washing, extreme Sabbath observance, uh, tithing on things that, you know, uh, just extreme versions of tithing, so on and so forth. And, and, and these were traditions, and they were the traditions of the religious leaders. Uh, then way up here was the teaching of Scripture, now, when Jesus came, he was always ignoring the traditions of man. 
all the while faithfully obeying and fulfilling the scriptures. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had elevated their traditions to be on par with the teaching of scripture. And when Jesus went ahead and ignored the traditions of man, some people looked at him and said, you have a low view of scripture. And so Jesus in our in these first two verses, verses 17 and 18, clears up any confusion. And he goes, oh my goodness, do not make the mistake of thinking that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, the teaching of Scripture. No way. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, what Jesus was saying, oh my goodness, it's unthinkable to me to ignore a commandment of God, to disobey a commandment of God, to treat lightly or as a suggestion the commands of God. I would never do that. I've come to obey the law of God. I've come to fulfill the law of God. That's what Jesus is saying. So again, if Jesus took the scripture so seriously and so fastidiously kept every part of God's law, who are we to hold a low view of scripture when Jesus, our Lord and Savior, clearly held and holds a high view of scripture? Now, Jesus says in our passage that fulfilling Scripture is what he is going to continue to do until everything that the prophets spoke about him comes to pass. And what this reminds us of is this. Currently, only the things the prophets spoke concerning his first coming have come to pass. But friends, there's many things that the prophets spoke in the Old Testament concerning Christ's second coming. For example, the prophets have foretold that Jesus is going to come again and that when he comes again, he's going to overthrow the kingdom of Satan. He's going to establish a kingdom of his own. He's going to rule here on earth for a thousand years. And after that, he's going to relocate his kingdom to the new heavens and the new earth where he will rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords for all eternity. And friends, every single thing that the prophet spoke concerning his first coming have been fulfilled. And that's what gives us reason to believe that every single thing the prophets have spoken concerning his second coming will also be fulfilled. It'll be fulfilled because of Jesus's great commitment to the scriptures. And friends, if this was Jesus's commitment to scripture, should ours be any less? Christian, as I've told you many times, Christian means little Christ. And we can only say that we are little Christ, little images of Jesus, if we too hold a high, high view of Scripture, allowing it to infiltrate our life and govern every area of it. So friends, that's the first reason that we're given for holding a high view of Scripture, because Jesus held a high view of Scripture. Jesus gave his life to fulfill the scriptures. Let's look at the second reason we're given here in our passage for holding a high view of scripture. Secondly, we should hold a high view of scripture because Jesus makes clear that every little part of scripture is important. Every little part. Oh yeah, the dietary laws of the Old Testament, they've been repealed, I get it. Oh, I get it. The Old Testament sacrificial laws, they also have been repealed. But even the parts that have been repealed are important because they have wonderful teaching value. 
There are principles contained within those sections of Scripture that can guide our lives in a God-honoring way. So Jesus makes clear that every little part of Scripture is important. And this is uh, the truth that Jesus is emphasizing in verse 18 when he says this. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, for those of you who are first-time guests today, you're like, what in the world is an iota? What is a dot? I am confused. Hey, don't worry. Everyone else is confused with you uh, because we don't speak Hebrew, okay? We don't speak Hebrew. So, but let me explain what Jesus is talking about. The iota is the 10th letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And as you can see, it is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet uh, by far. To us, it looks like a tiny little uh, apostrophe. And the dot is a tiny little mark that distinguishes one Hebrew letter from another. It's like this. In the English alphabet, the letter O and the letter Q are basically the same, except for a tiny little stroke of the pen that turns the O into a Q. Well, in the Hebrew alphabet, that tiny little uh, line of the pen, it's called a dot. That tiny little extension, it's called a dot. And it distinguishes the Hebrew letter Daleth from the Hebrew letter Resh. As you can see, Daleth and Resh are basically the same, except for a tiny little line that turns a Resh into a Daleth. Now, don't worry, friends, this is not on the quiz. <laughs> but I explain that to you so that you can understand what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is every little tiny little part of God's word is important. Even the iota, the tiniest little part of the Hebrew alphabet, even the dot, which is even smaller than the iota by far, that too is important. And none of God's word will pass away. It's all going to be fulfilled. Church, the primary reason that we've been doing more and more book studies as a church, like Ecclesiastes in 2020, or the book of Romans in 2021, or now the book of Matthew here in 2022 and very likely 2023, at least part of it. The reason we've been doing more and more book studies is this, it's because all of God's word is important. And I was pastoring y'all for over 10 years when I had the realization, okay, we just celebrated our 14-year anniversary, but about 10 years in, I was like, I have been doing four to six-week series for over a decade now, and there is so much of God's Word that I want to cover that I haven't been able to cover yet, and I never will be if every series has to fit into a nice, neat four to six-week series. I mean, those short series, they're great. There's nothing wrong with them, but they only work for short books of the Bible, like Jonah in the Old Testament. That's only four chapters. It works great for short books of the New Testament, like the book of James, which is only five chapters. But it does not work for longer books of the Bible, such as Ecclesiastes, which is 12 chapters, or the book of Romans, which is 16 chapters, or the book of Matthew that we're studying in this series, which is 28 chapters. And I was just like, 
the Bible's teaching is clear. Every part of the word of God is important. And my mandate uh, in scripture is to teach the whole counsel of the word of God. And there's just so much of it that doesn't neatly fit into a short little series. And so have you noticed I've been working up your tolerance? Ecclesiastes 12 chapters, Romans 16 chapters. Here we are in Matthew 28 chapters. Wait till we get to Isaiah 66 chapters. No, I'm just kidding. We'll summarize Isaiah. No, but friends, the point is that all of Scripture is important. And so more and more, we're just, we're just teaching you the Scripture. Pick a book, start at the beginning, work our way through. We're just going to give it all to you. We don't want to skip the uh, stuff that you're tempted to skip. We, we don't want to uh, skip over the hard parts, you know. And just, we just want to just go right through because it forces you to cover it all. I was deeply disturbed a few years back when a very prominent pastor, if I mentioned his name, you'd recognize it instantly, uh, wrote an article that basically encouraged Christians to disregard the Old Testament. I was like, what in the world? And I was disturbed because Jesus said this. We covered this in Matthew 4, remember? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this would include God's words in both Testaments. I was disturbed because Jesus told pastors in regard to their parishioners to stay busy teaching them to obey some of what he's commanded. No, not some of it. Everything that Jesus has commanded, that's what we're to teach as pastors. And this includes the teaching of the whole Bible, not just the parts that we have subjectively decided, well, this is interesting, so I'll preach on this. I'm not interested in what man thinks is interesting or not interesting. I care what God thinks is interesting. And friends, he put it in there because it's interesting and more than that, because it's needed. And so that's what we cover. Just whatever's in there, that's what we cover. I'm also disturbed at how many churches nowadays, they're not even preaching the Bible anymore. So many churches, it's pop psychology with one scripture thrown in so it can count as a sermon. I remember uh, a number of years back, I stopped, over 10 years ago now, I guess, uh, but I stopped listening to a very prominent preacher. Again, you'd know his name in a second if I mentioned it. But I stopped listening because uh, on numerous occasions, I heard him begin a sermon with, there's not going to be any scripture in our sermon today. And I was like, I'm out. Like a fat kid in dodgeball, I'm out. You know, like, no, just, you know, for me, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. No, just gone. No, it's not going to work for me. And I remember a couple of years after that, I stopped listening to another prominent preacher when he uh, began just telling like a disproportionate percentage of his sermon was just like funny stories. Now, I mean, he was hilarious. He could literally give Chris Rock a run for his money, although I don't think he's ever been slapped by Will Smith, okay? But he was so, so funny. I was like riveted. It was riveting to listen to. I, I loved listening to it. It was absolutely great. But he didn't give us any of the word of God. It was, fi- I timed it. I was like, I don't hear any scripture. I went back and I played it and I timed it. I was like 15 minutes into the sermon and he's still just telling jokes and telling funny stories and this and that. I was so entertained, but I didn't get the word of God. So then at 15 minutes in, I heard John 3.16 and it was mentioned in about three seconds. And then I hit my timer again to go back to recording the amount of funny story. It was like, and again, for the next 15 minutes, it was just more stories. And I was like, Where's the word of God? Where's the meat of the word of God? And as I mentioned that to you, I can't help but think of an old Wendy's commercial. I'm actually going to show it to you, and you'll have to forgive me. It was uh, made in 1984, and uh, the video quality 
Uh, you know, I couldn't control it, okay? I couldn't control it. I was three in 1984, so I couldn't control it. But here it is. Take a listen. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. Your Wendy's kind of... I love that slogan. More beef, less bun. All right, that's what the American Christian church needs. We need more beef, more meat of the word of God and less bun, okay? Less pop psychology with a scripture slapped on and then we call it a sermon. Where's the beef? Where's the beef, okay? Where's the beef? When you invite people to Easter this week, they say, what kind of church is it? You say, more beef, less bun. (laughs) Church in a day and age where the secular, godless culture that we live in is moving further and further and further away from the standard of the Word of God. And in a day and age where many churches are sadly following suit, let us hold tightly to the teaching of Jesus, which says every word of God is important. Every little part is important. Now, here's where some people get tripped up, and I don't want you to get tripped up here, so I'm going to teach on this for just a minute. But here's where some people get tripped up. They, they start going, well, I know that some commandments of God are more important than others. And so then they justify their excusing themselves of disregarding some of the commandments that they think are less important than others. Now, in case you're new to church, let me just say this straightforward. The Bible clearly teaches some parts of Scripture are more important than others. For example, when one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus didn't hesitate to tell him, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So so clearly some parts are more important or weightier than others. Another example comes from Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, such as justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So yeah, some parts of Scripture, some commands of Scripture, they are more important. They are weightier than other parts. But here is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Though some commands are greater than others, none are to be disregarded. None are to be disregarded. Not an iota, not a jot is to be disregarded. It's all important. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have given it to us, but he did, and that makes it important. This leads us nicely to the third and final reason we're given in our text for holding a high view of Scripture. The third reason to hold a high view of Scripture is because Jesus says that greatness in his kingdom is determined by our faithfulness to the Scriptures. 
So Jesus has an eternal kingdom that he'll rule over forever. Uh, He'll begin ruling at the time uh, of his return, at the second coming of Christ. This kingdom will be inaugurated. And Jesus says here that greatness in his kingdom is determined by our faithfulness to Scripture. And this is the truth being emphasized in verse 19. Jesus says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called, what church? Say it out loud. Will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says of those who ignore certain parts of Scripture or disregard certain portions of Scripture or disobey certain sections of Scripture that they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Conversely, those who are careful to read and to understand and to study and to obey every part of Scripture will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And what a day and age to qualify for great. We live in the information age. It used to be back in the day, you had to come to church to hear from the preacher. That's the only way you could get taught the word of God. It's not the case anymore, guys. So what an awesome time we live in where everyone can just dig in on their own. All kinds of commentaries and free tools you can find on the internet and everywhere else. And even books are cheaper than ever. Back in the day, that wasn't the case. Books were very expensive. Now for 20 bucks, you can get something to teach you the word of God. Now, I want you to understand something so no one's confused. It says you will be called least in the kingdom if you, are, if you hold a low view of Scripture. But what I want to point out is that you are still in the kingdom. We're saved by grace through faith. So even when you hold a low view of Scripture, like, like you still get in the kingdom because you're trusting Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You're like, hey, well, if I'm in the kingdom, why should I even bother obeying the Scriptures? Because... You don't want to be least in terms of your responsibility during the millennium, and you don't want to be least concerning your eternal rewards. Friends, the Bible teaches that when Jesus returns at the time of his second coming, he's going to establish uh, his kingdom, and it's going to exist here on this heaven and on this earth for a thousand years. It's going to to be within this heavens and this earth for 1,000 years. And the Bible teaches that our leadership role our influence and our responsibility is going to be determined by our faithfulness to God's word now. So you don't want to be least in your responsibilities or influence during the millennial reign of Christ, the 1,000-year reign of Christ here on earth. But here's the deal. After the 1,000 years of him reigning on earth, Jesus relocates his kingdom to the new heavens and the new earth. And the Bible says that at the judgment seat of Christ, believers will be eternally rewarded for the deeds done in the body. In other words, we will be rewarded in keeping with how faithful we were to do the deeds that are taught in Scripture that we ought to do. And friends, we don't want to get gypped for eternity. So, so, so why follow uh, the scriptures? Why hold a high view of scripture? Even though uh, if you don't, uh, you'll still be in the kingdom because you don't want to get gypped in terms of, you don't want to be the least in terms of responsibilities, the least in terms of influence, and you don't want to have the least eternal reward. Oh, salvation is very equitable. Everyone gets saved, but rewards are not given equally to everyone in heaven. The Bible could not be more clear on this. 
And friends, it makes sense that Jesus rewards us in accordance with our uh, faithfulness to his word, right? Because Jesus himself was rewarded for faithfulness to God's word as well. The reason that Jesus was appointed to be the ruler over God's eternal kingdom forever is because of his faithfulness to the word. So it makes perfect sense that uh, likewise we are rewarded in accordance with our faithfulness to God's word. Jesus is just doing for us what God did for him, dispensing rewards based on faithfulness to his word. I hope as you've listened today, your view of scripture is rising higher. And if it is, that's exactly what God wanted to happen through the sermon. But here's the deal. Jesus gives one important caveat to his whole teaching here, which is found in verse 20. I'm going to read it to you in just a second, but let me explain. While Jesus does want us to have a high view of scripture, he doesn't ever want us to look to scripture to provide more than God intended. As we learned in our series through Romans, while the scriptures play an incredibly important role in our lives, the scriptures themselves cannot save us. All the scriptures can do is point us to the one who can. You say, Mike, what's the role of the scriptures in my life? Well, scriptures define sin for us. They let us know what sin is. Uh, scriptures confirm that we are indeed all sinners. And then the scriptures let us know that we stand condemned before a holy God for having sinned. But this is actually a good thing. Because when we understand that we are eternally condemned before a holy God because of our sin, we immediately and instinctively and reflexively just begin searching for a way out of the terrible predicament we find ourselves in. So yeah, the scriptures play an incredibly important role in our life, but they can never save us. You say, well, how are we saved? Well, here's your next fill in the blank. When we turn to Jesus... Trusting him by faith to save us from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, God grants to us righteousness, which means right standing with God. And friends, this is the only way to find right standing with God. It comes by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. When we trust him to forgive us of our sins and to make us citizens of heaven forever. It's through faith. You see, when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, and when we believe by faith that he will, God grants to us the very righteousness of Christ. When we ask for forgiveness of sin, here's what God does. He takes all of our sins, past, present, and future, and he retroactively applies them to the life of Jesus. And then our sins are punished on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then God takes the very righteousness of Jesus and he brings it over and credits that righteousness to our account so that we can be seen before God as righteous and so that we can have right standing with God. The same right standing that Jesus has before God. So our sins are punished on the cross of Christ and now our eternity is secure through faith in Christ because when we placed our faith and trust in Christ, God granted to us a righteousness. And it's the only righteousness. It's the only way that we see in all of Scripture 
to be right with God so that heaven can be our eternal home. But here's, I think your last fill in the blank. Here's the deal. The scribes and the Pharisees, they invented a righteousness of their own. So even though the Bible only teaches that there's one way to be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees, they invented a righteousness of their own. They basically believed that through strict adherence to God's law, they would earn their way into heaven. So they took the 613 commands of the law of Moses and they just tried to keep them really, really closely. And they were banking on this. When they died and faced judgment, they were banking on God kind of taking a good scale and a bad scale and weighing the good versus the bad. And if your good outweighs your bad, you're in. And if the bad outweighs your good, you're out. Here's the only problem with such a teaching. It makes logical sense. It's just not scriptural. You'll find that nowhere in scripture. God grants us righteousness through faith. We do not earn our way into heaven through our works. And friends, this is why Jesus gives the one caveat to his teaching in verse 20. Take a look. Jesus, knowing that some would try to earn their way in like the scribes and the Pharisees, says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let's leave that verse up for just a second. Jesus is not saying, if you one-up the Pharisees, I'll let you in. If you can obey God's law even stricter than they do, which seriously was like humanly impossible, if you can just do it stricter than them, you're in, you're in, you're in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you need a different righteousness altogether because the righteousness that they've invented, it's taught nowhere in scripture. It has never saved anyone, nor will it ever save anyone. So you, you just need a completely different righteousness than the one they're teaching, because the one they're teaching, it's not in the Bible and it won't save you. And so we see that Jesus wants us to hold a high view of scripture, but he doesn't ever want us to look to scripture to provide something that only he can provide, namely the salvation of our souls. So friends, by way of application, my question to you is this. Do you hold a high view of Scripture or a low view of Scripture? Are you allowing the Word of God to enter into your life and begin governing every single aspect of it? Your finances, the way you do marriage, the way you raise your kids, the way you operate at work. Are you letting the word of God influence every facet of your life? That's what God wants. If you are, then wonderful. You are right where God wants you to be. But if you're not, you've picked a great day to tune in online. You've picked a great day to be here in person because here now you have the opportunity uh, to repent. You have the opportunity uh, to, to, to say to God, I I'm, I'm sorry for falling short of what you expect of me. And today you have the opportunity to ask God for help and letting every facet of your life be governed by his word. Friends, if you're not living in accordance with the word of God, you're living in disobedience to the word of God. And today you need to go ahead and get right with God. And as we've just learned, the good news is this, through Jesus, we can through faith in Jesus to deal with our sin, we can become right with God. 
And as much as God wants you to hold a high view of Scripture and to begin living every facet of your life in accordance with Scripture, that journey begins with getting right with God by placing your faith and trust in Christ. And if you want to do that today, it'd be my great privilege to pray with you. Wherever you're joining us from today, online or here in person, would you bow your head if you're comfortable doing so? Would you close your eyes? Because, you know, you're going before God. And so it's just kind of like an appropriate posture to take. God, I just, I bow my head in reverence. God, I close my eyes in reverence. And friends, I get it. Some of you, you're not ready to do that. And that's okay. We are so glad that you're here. But if you feel ready to do that, just bow your head, close your eyes. And in prayer, maybe you'd say something along these lines to God in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I I want the right standing that Mike was talking about. I want that right standing before you that only Jesus can provide. So I'm asking today, forgive me of my sins through Christ. I want my sins punished on the cross of Christ so that I can be free to live as a citizen in the eternal kingdom that you've appointed Jesus to rule over forever. God, grant me citizenship in that kingdom through the forgiveness of sins, I pray. And God, between now and the day where Jesus begins to rule over his kingdom, please help me to hold a high view of Scripture. I don't want to say to you, God, uh, this area of my life, this is, this is off limits. God, don't mess with this area. God, don't mess with uh, my sexual ethic. God, don't mess with my finances. God, I don't want you messing with the way I raise my children. God, uh, don't, don't mess with who I choose to date as a believer. God, help me to not have any areas of my life off guards to you and off limits to you. I invite you into every facet of my life. Help me, God, now to maintain this high view of Scripture, I pray. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.